Hello and welcome to episode three of series two of Guido Talks. That's right, we're back for the 17th episode in the midst of virtual conference season. Nothing is slowing down in Westminster. My name's Tom Harwood and today I am joined again by uh, Guido Fawkes founder and editor Paul Staines and Hello. reporter Christian Calgi, who seems to be coming to us today from a pub. What's all that about? <laughs> Oh, well, this is uh, firstly just shaking things up. We're doing this virtually. We may as well enjoy our virtual backgrounds. Uh, <laughs> but also, you know, the, there's been a bit of news with, uh, with pubs this week. Uh, it, it did seem temporarily that the, the wonderful Red Lion might be threatened by the new uh, table-only service rules. Uh, but we've since learned that actually they, they, have, uh, they are massively expanding their uh, tables. They're going to be spreading all the way down to the Derby Gate entrance, if Westminster locals know about that, and, and, and out up towards Whitehall. So um, I think they've probably got extra uh, permission from Westminster Council for that. So thankfully, it's, it's staying open for the time being. So the context here, of course, is the background behind Christian is the inside of the famous Red Lion pub, which is a pub that's right next to one of the entrances of Parliament and is frequented by uh, journalists and MPs and, and staffers. Um, but, but obviously... By us, um, <laughs> Fine, yeah. It's, it's frequented by us, uh, despite the incredibly high prices of the alcohol. Um, but, but it's mainly a place where sort of you you come along and you stand outside. So it's, it's quite hard to, um, to see them do table service, but yeah, they're apparently getting tables outside. Um, there's another pub update this week. Uh, on Monday, uh, another of the Westminster favorite pubs is going to be opening and that's the Barley Moe, which is another one that is frequented by think tankers. Um, but we should probably not spend all of today just talking about pubs as exciting and vital as that news is because this is Guido Talks and it's the show where we uh, recap our favorite stories of the week, not all of which are about pubs. So um, perhaps we should start with one of the bigger um, sort of newsy stories of the week and that is of course the Brady Amendment. This is an amendment being brought forward uh, by Graham Brady and supported by about 40 Tory backbenchers um, that would mean that in any, any new coronavirus uh, regulations that the government wanted to uh, put forward or hoist upon the people of this country, they'd need to be voted on by Parliament. It seems like a very um, basic thing that you'd expect would happen normally, but of course the Coronavirus Powers Act that came into force about six months ago uh, got rid of all of that parliamentary scrutiny. So now there's a strong movement in the Tory backbenches to bring that scrutiny back. And this week we leaked... have got the, uh, cross-party support as well. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Labour haven't decided yet whether to officially back it. I've spoken to people from the Labour Party and the SNP who are very much on the fence, but it must be very, very tempting for these parties to get a defeat for a government with an 80-seat majority, because that's very much on the cards uh, when, this, when this comes uh, before the House next week. Mm, it has about uh, 40, 41 Tory MPs backing it at the moment um, from all across you know, the, the, the spectrum within the, the party ideologically from different intake groups. There's a few 2019ers backing it. For some, it's their first ever rebellion and they're quite excited about it. Um, but I think generally there, there is a hope 
that because uh, there it's got so many signatories to begin with that they might be able to force the government's hand to concede before the vote even happens and, and avoid having to actually rebel on that because I don't think it can be understated just how uh, angry some backbenchers are at, at how excluded Parliament has been and there is an understanding of course that you know some of these things have to take place at pace and there isn't always time to have a lengthy debate but there's definitely a feeling amongst uh, I'd, I'd say most Tory backbenchers at this point that things have just gone too far now uh, to continue with such a lack of parliamentary scrutiny and and they want to bring this to a close and, and give MPs power. Am I right in thinking there's a technicality where the Speaker has to allow the motion and we're not quite clear whether he's going to allow it or not? Am I right? Well, yes, as with any amendment, this needs to be selected by the Speaker, Lindsay Hoyle, but there's something that's a bit more tricky about this one. Because the way that the um, the way that the, the, the legislation is structured means that technically this amendment that is being appended by these Tory rebels and some, as you quite rightly say, uh, Labour MPs as well, um, would would not have any legal effect. It would be it's it's, it's a sort of binary motion that is being brought before the House, sort of keep the Coronavirus Powers Act or abolish the Coronavirus Powers Act rather than amend it. But these uh, sort of Tory organisers behind the amendment think that even though this amendment wouldn't have, strictly speaking, legal power, it would have strong moral authority in terms of the will of the House would have been expressed and therefore the government would have to take that on board. And they think that that, that, um, the government can't really just ignore the will of the House, even though it might not, strictly speaking, have that legal power. So this is a tension that I'm sure that we're going to run up against in the coming days. But um, other than that and our lovely exclusive leak of the wording of that amendment, there was, uh, there was non-amendment news because there was another piece of legislation that came before the House uh, this week that ended with three Labour MPs resigning from the Labour front benches. What's all this about, Calgi? Yes, from a, a big Tory rebellion to a, a small but uh, fairly significant Labour rebellion. The government this week presented its legislation before the House, which will uh, essentially uh, prevent, uh, you know, professional lawyers from targeting former servicemen and taking them to court. So it's giving them uh, a form of legal immunity for soldiers who fought, uh, fought abroad. And there's a, a small hard left contingent within the Labour Party who essentially believe that this legislation will give uh, servicemen the right to commit you know, war atrocities and get away with it. Um, it's a bit of a, a conspiracy. But three of the uh, Labour MPs who uh, broke the Labour whip the Labour whip uh, dec- uh, decreeing that they should abstain. They voted against the bill and it resulted in three PPSs uh, being forcibly resigned, is the wording that we uh, eventually came to agree on, uh, from their front bench positions. And uh, a couple of them are are fairly well known, not least of, uh, of all Nadia Whittam, who is the the baby of the house uh, and also one of the most dedicated of the new Corbynista left-wing generation. And uh, this was a particularly 
uh, amusing uh, episode in British politics because she voted against the bill and then left the House of Commons to go and appear on the Robert Peston show, uh, where, to her knowledge, she had not actually resigned, <laughs> but the Labour Party were very much <laughs> under the illusion that she had resigned and she had uh, formally already left her role at that point. Uh, and we got confirmation from the Labour Party that uh, they had indeed quit, um, fallen on their own swords, uh, and were no longer in position. And there was that, that seems of course, marvellous moment. Sorry, that, Sorry, that seemed to upset a lot of left-wing Twitter, didn't they? Claiming it was ridiculous that we were briefed first before <laughs> Nadia Whitman found out. By which they mean we called up and said, so are they sacked then? Yes, I'm afraid we, we, it wasn't a secret briefing. It was, <laughs> it was standard practice of uh, confirming something with an official spokesperson before going to publish. Uh, and we just did it first. We are obviously in league with the forces of Starmer to wipe out the Corbynites if you're interested, Troxer. <laughs> oh, I love the conspiracies that somehow we're in hook with the, uh, with the second referendum team that run the Labour Party now. Um, but, but the wonderful moment of, of this, of course, was that her reaction was caught live on ITV's Peston where she was told that she was in fact sacked or that she had resigned and she wasn't aware that she'd resigned. She thought that just because it was a one-line bill, it wouldn't constitute uh, a resignation issue. But to the leadership of the Labour Party, it did. And she, she, we had this wonderful reaction where she was told this live on air and looked quite bemused. Uh, well, she lives and, lives and learns, doesn't she? She lives and learns. <laughs> Right, right. Um, but in the debate over this over this bill, there was um, a, a curious, quite impassioned moment from Ben Wallace, the Defence Secretary, um, and this caused a bit of a stir. What was this all about, Paul? Well, impassioned isn't the half of it. He was debating with John Healy, his opposite number on the Labour benches, who's an experienced parliamentarian, and uh, I'm afraid to say, Ben Wallace, the Defence Secretary, completely lost his rag and if you watch the video he is literally shouting at the other side and he says well we're clearing up or words to the effect of we're clearing up your mess and your illegal wars now as far as i know apart from on swp marches it's never been confirmed that any of the actions that uh, tony blair uh, launched were illegal and it's never gone to court nobody's ever been charged so it's just a slogan but it's also quite an insult i feel to the armed forces for their own minister of defense to excuse them of waging an illegal war so uh it went down quite badly there was a lot of you know old generals saying this is not the right thing times quite a bit of follow-up we went big on it um the minister of defense is refusing to comment but in times gone by this would have been a resigning matter. There's no doubt about that in my mind. Uh, ben Wallace uh, has been uh, tipped for uh, losing his cabinet position. He's uh, an early supporter of uh, the Prime Minister in his leadership campaign, so that does get you some protection. But that's quite a screw-up. And at the very least, I think you should apologise. We'll take some chance to apologise. Yes, of course. When, I think uh, the, lo the last time that this happened was in 2011, at DPMQs when Nick Clegg said something about an illegal war 
um, in reference right. to Iraq from the dispatch box. And he was forced to retract that, or at least to apologize and, and to say that this was a personal view, not the view of the government. Because if, if it seemed to be the view of the government that they had fought an illegal war, that opens up no end of problems and, and potential litigation and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so I think it's quite odd that Ben Wallace hasn't exactly. said. Exactly. It opens up a load of legal problems, which, of course, the point of the legislation that was being debated this week was to end those legal battles and <laughs> legal challenges against servicemen. But uh, this isn't the first uh, uh, cock-up of... Uh, the Defence Secretary, uh, forgetting the massive furore over clips of him shaking someone's hand a few weeks ago, viewers, uh, readers may also remember back in the days of prorogation, where he was uh, spotted on camera essentially undermining the government's uh, excuse for proroguing Parliament, uh, saying actually it was tactical and not a necessary legal mechanism to introduce a, uh, a, a programme of legislation to the House. Uh, so he's not been the best briefed or, you know, the best advised uh, senior cabinet minister. Well, we also mentioned he voted for the war when he was an MSP in Scotland. As an MSP, yes. So uh, it's, just, it's just bizarre. If there was a court case, of course, they now called him as a witness. Was it an illegal war? Yes, said the Minister of Defence. You know, it's, it's a little bit of a mess. I think um, the, the government's hoping everyone will move on because there's much more important things to go on at the moment. Mm. And, and you mentioned that when he was up in the Scottish Parliament, he, he voted against that war. That brings us to the ridiculous state of affairs north of the border um, that are going on right now to do with coronavirus. Because, of course, at the time that... Um, England brought in its um, more strict, but actually not as far as a lot of people were expecting restrictions, uh, a mandatory pub and restaurant closing time, uh, greater enforcement of the rule of six uh, and table service only. These are actually relatively limited measures. And, and Scotland went a lot further, banning people visiting each other's houses. But they were discussing something earlier that we leaked onto the site at the beginning of this week that's called a circuit breaker lockdown. The Scottish government actually confirmed after our leak that they had been looking at this idea of having at least a two-week lockdown that would coincide with half-term in Scotland to make sure that going right back to that, that very strict lockdown, everyone stay at home, only leave if you absolutely have to get food or exercise. And this is uh, one of those measures that seems to be going sort of above and beyond as the Scottish government so often likes to do, because of course they don't have to think about the economic repercussions of their action. And so they tend to have been a lot harsher when it comes to coronavirus across this piece, despite actually having a higher R rate across the last few weeks than England. Um, and, and actually just on Thursday and Friday this week, there's been some more problems in Scotland with regards to their universities. Now, Calgary, can you run us through basically what's going on there? Yeah. It, it is um, really bad. It's quite scary thinking what it would be like to be a student at the moment, or indeed what it would be like to be a graduate at the moment, um, both sides. But Sturgeon has essentially uh, resort, resorted to looking up students. Uh, students obviously started university a couple of weeks ago, are all in their new um, 
family household bubbles in halls of residence or student houses. And because there have been small outbreaks at places like Glasgow and St Andrews, um, there has been an incredibly authoritarian clampdown on students and they are uh, banned from having any socialising outside of their households. Um, they are putting increased staff presence into student accommodation. They are increasing liaising with the police. And I think most um, sort of heartbreaking, harsh of all, is that they are banned from going home, not just now, but also at Christmas. Essentially, they are locked up at their university halls of residence until the time of a vaccine. And it's just absolutely uh, awful to, to think how, how that must be for students. I don't, at the moment. I don't understand how, I mean, uh, the left was always going on about after Brexit, we're not going to have these same human rights uh, benefits that we had beforehand and all those. Surely it's a breach of your human rights. I mean, there is a right to a family life. Article 8. If you can't go home, I, I'm not convinced that this is not bluster and that they're going to be able to enforce it. I mean, you can't suspend human rights uh, just because there's a pandemic going on. And I, I, I don't think people are going to obey it. And what are they going to do then? Arrest all the students? It's not possible. I'd like to see them try, especially in somewhere like Glasgow. One of the other measures they were saying was they wanted to, was they banned all university students from going to restaurants and bars and pubs. And it's, it, it's sort of like, how on earth are you going to enforce this? Students can just leave their student cards at home. Are you a student? No, I'm not. Great, thanks. Can I have some pints, please? Um, this, is, this is the sort of, um, just sort of bravado that's coming from the Scottish government that doesn't seem to be underpinned by any sense of logic. Um, and it's really deeply concerning. I mean, I, th I think that, 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 that people should really be speaking out more about this and you'd think that particularly people who are on the sort of I, I, I don't know libertarian left if there is such a thing people who have always spoken out about human rights and, and, and as you rightly say the right to a family life and all those other things I'm surprised that parties like the Liberal Democrats or indeed in Scotland the Labour Party aren't making more noise about this surely this should be something that we can all see is abhorrent um, but I think it's probably best that we don't dwell on Nicola Sturgeon's little fiefdom um, for too long, because, of course, there was a, a, another place in the world that entered the news um, this week, and that is somewhere in Italy called Perugia. Um, what's this all about, Calgi? Yeah, well, one person who certainly hasn't been travelling about uh, to, to smoothly segue, uh, has been the Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Uh, there was a, a, an intriguing story that sort of lit a fire under a lot of the lobby on, I think it was Sunday night, uh, which was that Perugia Airport, which is sort of as central Italy as you can get, a few hours north of Rome, had put out a press release claiming that Boris Johnson and Tony Blair had recently travelled through the airport. And, you know, this was like, hang on, what? I mean, it doesn't sound that much of a story, but essentially it was like, has the Prime Minister secretly gone on holiday in the middle of the pandemic? So everyone was trying to get to the bottom of it. Uh, and Downing Street obviously completely denied it. 
Um, and eventually, uh, thank goodness, the Pariga Airport basically said that it was a case of <laughs> it was a case of mistaken identity insofar as someone had someone had mistaken Tony Blair for Boris Johnson, <laughs> two of the least similar-looking prime ministers that you could pick. Um, but there was all sorts of brilliant sort of mitigating evidence. You know, there was the son had revealed that he'd actually been at his son's christening in London on the Saturday. We pointed out that he'd been doing a Zoom call clearly from Downing Street uh, on the Friday afternoon, hours after he was supposed to have appeared at Perugia Airport. So it was a real, not sort of a murder mystery, but quite a, quite a fun investigation. And um, Downing Street were breathing a sigh of relief by the end of the day uh, that Perugia had backed down and apologised for making an error. So at the start of this, when everyone was saying... When everyone was sort of saying, well, what, what's going on here? There's a journalist, I wish I could remember his name, where he said, hang on, how can we be sure that this didn't happen? And he laid down, he laid out um, a sort of sequence of events that turned out to probably be exactly what happened. And it's a brilliant, brilliant tweet. He was like, did you hear, so, you know, airport employee one, did you hear the British prime minister came by here earlier, referring to Tony Blair? Um, and, and another airport employee turns around and says, Boris Johnson. Yeah, it must have been Boris Johnson. He's the British Prime Minister, right? And you can sort of see how that sort of spoken word, mistaken identity, mm. ended up with someone far removed from the airport in some press office somewhere saying two British Prime Ministers came through the airport. There is a blonde-haired Johnson in Italy as we speak, though, according to the Daily Mail. That's his son, who's with Carrie in Lake Como. I don't think it's a big control. I don't think it's a big scandal that she's away on holiday i mean it's just getting some r and r it's not like it's her job to run the country is it so uh you know we love a bit of a uh long lens photography but i'm not really that bothered about it no but there was something that i was more bothered by and that was more travel within italy because of course hours and hours after this story was debunked even by the airport itself and certainly, I think eight hours after we ran our debunking story in the morning, the BBC decided to send a correspondent halfway across Italy to go to Perugia to go and ask some questions um, about something that had been already settled. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think they said there were the two different bits of the BBC were chasing down a dead end story that everyone knew was a load of rubbish. You know, your taxes at work, once again. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was funny seeing actually one of those correspondents interacting with these sort of um, Twitter conspiracy theorists in, in the replies to his tweets, asking all these ridiculous questions about such a clearly false story. Um, it, is, it is a curious amount of a way to spend, as you rightly say, taxpayers or indeed license fee payers money. Um, but, but there's another story um, away from Italy, back to back to Westminster, that's somewhat to do with travel. This is a terrible segue, but there's a man who stands outside Parliament very often <laughs> shouting at people, um, and he's called Steve Bray. Um, he used to wear a hat that, called, that said Stop Brexit and a cape that looked, looked like an EU flag. He was in the background of most um, live broadcasts from Abingdon Green and, and in and around Parliament. Um, but recently, he's taken to wearing... A, um, a Red Army uniform and playing the Soviet national anthem quite loudly all around Westminster. 
for some reason or other. I think I think Vladimir Putin made Boris Johnson or something. I don't know. Um, but the story that we ran this week is remarkable because he's so well funded by um, all these sort of well-heeled Remainer people who have far much more, far too much money and not enough sense. Um, he's found a really easy way to commute into Westminster each morning. And that's simply to drive his car, um, stop it randomly by the side of the road, just about anywhere, and get a parking ticket just about every single day. And that's no skin off his nose because all of his Remainer funders will just pay the parking ticket. So he's just driving in into Westminster every day, um, dropping his car off absolutely wherever and feeling absolutely no qualms whatsoever with getting repeated daily parking tickets. I wonder, I wonder whether it would be a good, a good use of time to stick Paul in a parking warden high-vis jacket <laughs> and get him to go and have another fun shout at Mr Bray. Maybe make yeah, up another song on the spot. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> According to Paul, of course, it is Goldman Sachs and the like that are funding uh, Steve oh, Bray. Oh, that was before, before the referendum, you remember? <laughs> Yeah, let's move on from that. That was quite a... You know what, Paul? I think, I think there's only one thing for it. We're going to have to insert some of that video in this podcast now. Are you doing an interview right yourself. now? Listen, oh, they're doing up. an interview! They're doing an interview! He doesn't want to do nothing! Oh, you're doing an interview, eh? Right? Because he doesn't disrupt anyone's interviews, does he? Will you hear me? No! Will you listen to me? No! No! You don't want to disrupt someone's interview! You're telling me we shouldn't disrupt the interview! Stephen Bray, the man who disrupts the most interviews on the Palace! You're the bankers, bitch! Who do you dance for? You dance for Morgan, Stanley, Carmen, Sachs, JP Morgan! Yeah, you're the bankers, bitch! Who are you for? He's fine. JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, yeah. Roland Rudd. Yeah, revolt, Article 50. <laughs> well, on that note, thank you for listening to or indeed watching this week's episode of Guido Talks, uh, and we'll see you next week. I'm also available for bar mitzvahs if you're interested. <laughs>